All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined today by NY Hoya and Florida Hoya. Georgetown currently is in a COVID pause, but we are mainly here for the 15th anniversary, which I believe is Crystal edition of Georgetown's beating of then undefeated number one Duke back in 2006, Georgetown Big lead, held on, 87-84 over the hated Blue Devils. And since this is the Brackets crew, this kind of feels like a Brackets podcast, so I'm so glad you guys were able to join. You know, we never actually finished the Brackets. We had two more <laughs> we, had, we had two more left, and I actually think one of them was going to be discussing this game and whether it was, um, you know, a bigger win than – the uh, the win over Syracuse in 2013, or the win over North Carolina and uh, going to the Final Four. So we can substitute some of that analysis in this in this pod. So nice to be back with the bracket bracket crew, guys. <laughs> it can is. I say something before we start, Bobby. Yeah. I I am on this fine January 21st. Uh, I am I'm feeling good tonight. I am looking even better tonight. I know you can't see me doing this podcast, but I am wearing uh, one of the drops, of latest items from the latest drop of 19.9 apparel. I am wearing my 1982 blue Georgetown shorts. Um, just got those in the mail today. They are fantastic. Um, I, I don't know if there's, I think they probably sold out. All the other drops sold out, but I got my 82 blues on. My wife got herself a pair of the 96 Iverson blues with the Kente. Beautiful. Um, I'm also wearing, I think I'm wearing 1990's uh, Big East tournament shirt as well. Uh, nice little retro apparel here. This is not sponsored content, by the way. I just really like the clothes. Yeah, we might we might need to start a, uh, I believe it's a Twitch account. Do the, yeah. uh, but just to let you know, I also got my stuff in the mail from those guys. Oh. They are not paying us to say this, but I feel like if you are into Georgetown apparel, that's kind of what you have to do. But uh, yeah, I will, I will say if they want to pay us, we are absolutely willing to whore ourselves out for 199 money. But for now, for free, the clothes are great. Get yourself some shorts. You think in, sure. you think in 20 years, people are going to be like, hey, guys, I'm uh, I'm <laughs> rocking my uh, circa 2018 Johnny Mulmore shorts. Loving it. Loving it. Oh, I, I, I will bet you bottom dollar at like the reincarnated 2041 version of Lollapalooza. Somebody's wearing a Mulmore. <laughs> I don't even know if Mulmore is going to be wearing his own shorts. Oh. So anyway, hopefully Jonathan's having a good night. And hopefully as he listens <laughs> to this, he has a good sense of humor. But the current Hoyas, who last played on January 9th, losing 74-69 in the Carrier Dome to Syracuse. We now know that they are not going to be – well, they were always off this weekend, but their next game, which was going to be Tuesday at Xavier? Was Tuesday at Xavier? Yes. Yeah, so that'll be the fourth game they're going to miss on this current COVID pause. We hope that everyone's okay. We know Patrick Ewing had had it um, before the season started. I want to say August-ish. So I can't actually remember. I'd have to look that up. But we know he had it. We know a Tier 1 – um, personnel's had it, which could include non-players. So we hope everyone's okay. I just wanted to bring up to you, we haven't gotten anything from Georgetown yet, although maybe at some point we will. Um, I looked up and 
Villanova just came back from a pretty big pause. They almost missed a month of action and we did get stuff for, or not me, but uh, Jay Wright had some interviews out there and some quotes. So maybe we'll get to see what's going on with the program. But that being said, what's your guys' thoughts? Obviously the season's not going great. Three and eight, one and five, kind of, you know, probably what most people expect. Maybe if you switch the Navy result, what do you guys think about the season going forward? How important you think it is that this particular group finishes it, knowing that seniors have the ability to play next year, whether it's at Georgetown or somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, this is so. First of all, the the four games off is probably what you would have expected, given the timing of when the initial announcement was made. Um, if the the Paul game would have been or should have been last Wednesday, and I think the announcement, if you're remembering correct, Bobby, the announcement came out kind of mid-afternoon that day. Yeah, um, and DePaul, DePaul, was either, DePaul was in town. Yeah, DePaul was already in town. So my guess is that means the positive test came back either that day or like the previous day, like when DePaul was already en route. So you figure about last Wednesday was when the test came in. If you're doing about a two-week hiatus for positive tests in your tier one, it would make sense that the day your game was going to get canceled. So you'd expect four games to be lost. Um, where it gets to be a thing is it's just logistics. If you look at the the spacing of the schedules, and I think you've covered this on a one of the previous podcasts, there really are not any good spots to replace four games or insert four games into your schedule um, without doing some really tough jujitsu, like with some A10 style back to backs or some really short rest. Um, my guess, and with, you know, I think Butler just went on a hiatus today. Um, I yeah. know other programs, Nova just came back. Other programs have been on hiatus or in the middle. You're going to run into a situation, you just run out of runway. And I, I can't see most of the conference hitting 20 games. So you're going to probably end up with some sort of truncated schedule and just, I think the biggest is going to go off winning percentage. Um, that is, that is what it is. I think I've said all season to be able to see basketball at all or sports at all is sort of a small blessing. Even if you're a little guilty inside watching athletes have to put up with a lot of this and sacrifice to, to for us to watch them play. Um, any, any basketball you see is a bonus. And I know it's weird to say that watching this team is a bonus, but um, if they get games in fine, the reps will be beneficial. Like I, I've long since lost my will to, to get too spun up about this season. Yeah. I, I just, I'd like to see what the young guys can do. And I, I'm probably the last person who would say, let's schedule more games against easy opponents just to build confidence and, you know, and get some experience for the younger guys. But at the end of the day, you know, the net ranking and the RPI and all that stuff don't matter anymore. Uh, so with the exception of, of the biggest tournament, there isn't a, as much meaning in these games as there normally would be in January and February. So I think it's important for guys like Dante Harris to, to get some run, to get some more reps, uh, to see as a team, to see what this team can do defensively, most importantly, to see if any schematic problems over the last three years have been fixed. Uh, and then just, just for the young guys to see what they're capable of doing so that heading into next season, we can figure out how to mix and match different pieces, uh, you know, before we get to bigger questions about whether, uh, some of the upperclassmen might return for an extra year. And I, I, in terms of reps, I mean, I do still, another thing I've said throughout the season, I do still buy the idea that because of 
say what it is. I mean, because of COVID and the pauses and programs and the irregular nature of the schedule, there's just going to be a lot of weirdness game to game. I mean, I think we've seen that. Like this Georgetown thing being up 18 against Villanova is, to me, that's weirdness playing out. Um, so they're going to be plenty of – one thing this team has really struggled with so far is closing out close games. There are going to be a lot of those if you keep playing just because this is such a weird season. So inevitably, you're going to have a chance to win a close game. Like, it's going to happen with this team eventually, right? They're not going to lose all of them, you would think. So just to get that, like, if it's like seeing your shot go through the net or seeing your drive go down the center of the fairway, just, like, there's going to be some weird game against, like, in my mind, for some reason, it's Creighton, maybe because they just lost yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. Late against Creighton, where all of a sudden you find yourself up, like, two with three minutes to go, and then magically, like, it all clicks for some reason, and it works out, and that is beneficial. So there's going to be something like that at some point for the rest during the rest of the season. And that's what I hope that they get to. If nothing else, there'll be something nice for us, like a treat. But yeah, the reps of in-game situations and some of the things for the young guys. Yeah. So I'm looking at some of the other schedules. Obviously we know DePaul, you know, ironically Georgetown's COVID issue came up against DePaul who (laughs) they've played the least amount of games. They're two and five, although they might get close to Georgetown here if this pause continues. So they were able to schedule a game against Valparaiso after the Georgetown game fell through. And then I'm looking here where St. John's has a game against Utah Valley state over the weekend. I'm not sure maybe they were playing because I I thought what was weird about the the wording this week was it was a Georgetown related issue that the Big East said, even though Xavier is also on a pause. So you kind of weren't sure if, you know, who's not eligible to play. Maybe Xavier wouldn't be ready to play either, but, um, you know, we've seen some high profile women's programs start their season and decide not to go Duke and Virginia Duke. I know because Kara uh, Lawson is coaching and, you know, she was a local and she was on the wizard. She was doing the wizards. Um, she was doing the wizards broadcasting. And then I think she was a Celtics assistant and then she bolted for Duke and UVA actually might not have started their season, but I know that UVA decided that, you know, enough is enough. And, um, we haven't seen a high-profile men's team do it. We've seen the Ivy League do it. We've seen, uh, I think, is it Chicago State, who's in the WAC? They've done it. So I, I don't know, you know, I'm not saying Georgetown's going to do it, but I wonder, all these things keep piling up. I wonder if we might see a bigger school do it. Do we want to get into the fun stuff? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Actually, Bobby, let me, since we're transitioning to the fun stuff, are we, I know we're, like, sort of, doing a backdoor into the bracket contest thing that we never finished but are we we doing are we doing a backdoor pilot here are we trying to do a backdoor pilot for georgetown rewatchables to uh commit some light intellectual property theft from a spotify property um are we trying to do this are we going to do classic games going forward i'll tell you this after watching a lot of the duke game i'm totally in for that (laughs) (laughs) i I personally want to do a series on weird Georgetown basketball, but that's probably for another day, another year, another pandemic. Um, but I like, I like this idea. I love this being the anniversary. I love focusing on this game because it was fun as hell. I think we all agree. Let's do this. Okay. So let's start with expectations for the season. Let's, let's not jump right to the game. Let's, you know, we'd had a year of JT three. 
that that year I would say was probably better than I thought at least, but it kind of ended, you know, they, they went our five game losing streak in, they were eight and three. They were looking like they were going to, you know, make the NCAA tournament, which would have been well ahead of schedule, even though it's a pretty talented roster. Obviously they didn't, they, they did a little damage in the NIT, but they're coming back. It wasn't a heralded freshman class, but I know that, and this is so right around here, I guess, to let everyone know at this point, I'm about, about 25, 26, something like that. So I've got my season tickets. I'm all in. I got some money. I'm, I'm, you know, going to away games. I'm very engaged at that time, engaged with Georgetown basketball. And uh, I was telling everyone I knew this is the year they got to go back to the tournament. Cause at that point they hadn't been since Oh one, which that seemed like forever, even though we're in a longer drought currently. But at that time I was like, Oh my God, they got to go back to the tournament. So I was, I was pretty in. I went to the first two games at Navy and at JMU. I'm a JMU alum, so that was definitely pretty cool. But I was a little bit down on the team just because the Vanderbilt game at home, they, they lose that when they got crushed in the second half. They had a nice win at Oregon. They lost at Illinois. And then, you know, heading into the game, they had just barely survived South Florida. So at this point, Georgetown is 11-4. and four. They're 3-2. and two. I, I was I was kind of... I expect them to be at a better spot than they were heading into the Duke game, but I know my expectations for the season before it started were very high. So just to just to piggyback on that, so so yeah, the in JT3's first season, first season, I, I think look, I think most people would say it was an unequivocal success. Yeah. Just seeing, just seeing, because if if the operating assumption is that the biggest flaw during the Etrick years was just not not much of a semblance of offense uh and too many substitutions we saw the the sort of the exact opposite in the jt3 early days especially and so being able to you know get a win i think it was at pittsburgh and you know winning a game at home against notre dame on the roy hibbert dunk those were massive wins especially against those teams pittsburgh and notre dame were two of our biggest rivals we had had so many frustrating losses to them during that stretch and and you're right we were eight and three in conference there were 16 games in conference it looked like we were going to the tournament we lost five straight games including a heartbreaking game i think it was uh against providence at the very end uh but then we had a little bit of a run in the Big East tournament and then we lost just an absolute heartbreaker to yukon in the quarters uh which came down to the end we were down we've talked about this during the during the yeah. bracket discussion but down two at the very end, had a chance to to tie or take the lead. And we win that game, we probably go to the tournament or have a fighting chance in the semis. Um, so I think there was, there was a sense that our team was on the up and up and there wasn't necessarily disappointment in heading into the season, but yeah, a sense of optimism, just, but looking back at what might've been the previous year, but you're right at that point in time, just before the Duke game, I was right there with you. I was at the Navy game. I was at the JMU game. Nice. Um, I don't know why I was in Harrisonburg, Virginia, but it was I awesome. Was. You love the Berg. <laughs> I happened to be living in Virginia at the time, and so took took the trek down. It was I didn't realize how far away JMU was to Northern Virginia, and that game at JMU was not easy. It was mm-hmm. a close game. Uh, that small gym uh, led to some a pretty frenetic crowd and. Uh, we we almost lost that game, if I recall correctly. Um, but so so you're right. I I don't know that there were necessarily 
the same sense of optimism at that moment in the season. And yet at the same time, if you look at the core we had, it, it was it was pretty solid. I mean, we had uh, we had a good group of seniors in uh, Brandon Bowman and Ashani Cook and and Daryl Owens, and then we had this rising group of incredible sophomores in Hibbert and Wallace and Green, uh, and this was Sap's freshman year. Hey, real quick, were you at the Hoya Hoop Club pregame event at the Convocation Center? I. I don't think so. I'm not that crazy. Come on. I just remember it being kind of weird because <laughs> I'm in the Hoya Hoop Club, but I'm a JMU alum. I was trying to explain that to some people in there. I don't think it really registered. It was not really seen as, you know, it was kind of like, wait, what? Why? I'm like, well, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was that was definitely cool. Going to Navy was cool, I, too. I had a similar experience on January 21st, and we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> um. So I think I was thinking about this earlier, like what the expectations were for this season, so for the 2005-2006 season. It occurred to me that probably a decent way to characterize what the expectations were for a given season were what was the slogan on the We Are Georgetown shirt that year. Um, The first one we ever did was in the previous season, 2005, that was the uh, the some have forgotten. We will remind them year. Um, and early on, the first several of these T-shirt slogans, by the way, they were all based on quotes that JT3 said at some point. Um, so year one was some have forgotten. We will remind them. And that has a particular connotation and a context to it. This year's, I believe, was the respect is back. Fear is next year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that sums it up pretty decent, actually. Right. The idea that when you guys went over some of the wins, I would also add the previous year. They won at Villanova. They won at the Pavilion, um, which was, I think that's, that was a Sweet 16-ish. I can't remember where Villanova went that year in the tournament, but to point out that we've only won at Villanova twice since then. It was an awesome um, ending, too. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but the idea is that they, I guess Howie said, they were close. I think if you had taken a bracketology after the Notre Dame game, they're in the tournament up until they're 8-3 in the conference. Maybe in a game or two later, they are in the tournament. And they Missed it just barely, but I think the expectation is 2006, that is the year they are going to get, you know, the fear is next part, right? That's the part that's going to happen. So there's a lot of expectation. Um, contextually, a couple of other things that are important this year. Um, you guys mentioned um, having not made the tournament in a few years. They hadn't made the tournament since 2001, my freshman year. Um, the class of 2005. I've talked about the class of 2005 before. I knew several people this year after me. Um, one of the most rabid fans, like for a period of time there, you could ever imagine. The reason was they really wanted that tournament appearance super bad. Like the class of 2005 at the time was the first Georgetown class to have not seen an NCAA tournament appearance since 1974. So we're talking proto, like paleo Thompson. Um, it had been a long time. I, I don't know. This is another thing. We've talked. Fans online are talking about this a lot lately. Contextually, like, do people realize like how bad of a slump Georgetown is in right now? We're sort of shrugging off. Yeah, we haven't been to the tournament in like what six years now. Man, there was a time when four years it was like you had to go back like seven presidential administrations. Yeah. Um, so there's that going on. There's a lot of anticipation of can they make it back to the tournament. And can I, can I do a, a quick fact check in real time here? Yeah, sure. 
So that Villanova team was a five seed. You're talking about the 04-05 Villanova Wildcats? Yeah. They were a five seed. They lost in the Sweet 16 to number one UNC. Yes, I exactly. There was a really screwy call in that game, too, I think. So just want to let you know that you're right. Um, that was a really good Villanova team. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other thing that's going on, um, it has more to do with students, but you guys mentioned the two road trips, uh, the one to Navy and the one to JMU. Uh, there was also a third one to UConn at the beginning of the conference season. This is the first year after this is a, I told the story for the really weird in the weed story about how the athletic department after the previous season stepped in and facilitated like a restructuring of Hoya Blue, uh, the student group, um, switched up the leadership, like kind of changed up. Like it was a much, they made it a much closer relationship between the club and like the actual athletic department. Um, hence you get things like, They've held three road trips by the time mid-January comes around. And there's a lot of legit momentum between the team and actually more organizing going on. So that, that dynamic is there as well. Um, you guys, by the way, you guys have, you guys have those, uh, those old CDs, you know, that, that Nodak made, you know, the, you know, the heart of a Hoya, yeah. mom, all that stuff. Yeah. The, the Hoya basketball song is about the beginning of this season. That song still slaps 15 years later, by the way, shout out to <laughs> Nodak. Um, but yeah. This is, this is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going into this. Um, and yet it weirdly, as, as you pointed out, Bobby, it's kind of a failure to launch at this point, right? Like they're 10 and four going into this game. Like they don't really have a great victory, like winning on the road at Oregon's fine, but Oregon didn't make the tournament that year. They don't have any other like great wins, non-conference. They lost to a couple non-tournament teams. They're just kind of okay right now. I have a theory that takes us off on a tangent a little bit, but you're, you're talking about that's the what class we of 2005. <laughs> class of 2005 that's just hungry for a tournament appearance. And this is, as you said, the first the first people to go through four years of Georgetown basketball without seeing a tournament appearance since the mid-70s. And um, so my theory is this. Georgetown these days is, is pretty famous for a group of uh, comedians who got their start at Georgetown Guys like John Mulaney and Nick Kroll and Mike Birbiglia. Um, I'll throw Joe Garricks in there as well, even though he's not as famous. He's in Connecticut doing a, doing a nice job. Those guys, particularly particularly Kroll and uh, and especially John Mulaney, were suffering through some of those dog days of Georgetown basketball. <laughs> and my theory is that a lot of the dark humor and a lot of the spare time sort of bitching and moaning and leading to, uh, you know, a lot of the humor that emerged in that period was the result of some bad basketball and not enough excitement emanating from the MCI center. That's my theory. Yeah. Mulaney's the same graduated the same year as me. So, I mean, that's an entirely plausible theory. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He's, and, and Mulaney helps Mulaney gets better, by the way. I know he's going through some tough stuff right now. So, so good luck to, to John. Um, yeah, no, it's totally, totally possible. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of pain to uh, to mine for comedic gold here. That's that's not just basketball. That's the Georgetown experience period. Uh, so how many? So actually, so I think well, Bobby, you're you're not a Georgetown alum, but Howie, I think you're a few years before me. Did you ever see any of those comedians perform at Georgetown? Because I I was being in Georgetown in like the early 2000s. I must have seen Berbiglia perform. I'm conservatively estimating at like a zillion times. No. Is the short answer? Okay. 
<laughs> Cracker, please. Yeah. So, um, by the way, you guys, do you know, I looked this up because I love stuff like this. Do you know what the number one song was on the Billboard charts the day this game was played? It's, it's incredibly fun. I only mentioned it because it's funny as shit. Ooh, this is the fun game. January 21st, you, 2006? Yes. Just even give me, like, the artist. It's too. It's too funny. Is it like R. Kelly or Kanye? That's that far off. You know that far off. It's, you know that song "Grills" by Nelly and Paul Wall. <laughs> I, I can't believe that song was number one. I thought that was songs that like, came out like two years earlier, but yeah, that's where we are. So <sighs> it sucks. I didn't yourself. guess. Rolling back, rolling back down Constitution <laughs> Avenue, listening to Nelly and Paul Wall on the Charles County, Maryland school bus. Going back to guys, if, if you ever want to take a ride with me, I'm in. Ah, oh, God, that was my freshman year. Love that song. Anyway, yeah, so during during the broadcast, which I watched today, they went to commercial break a lot with Nelly. I am, you know, I'm number one. So, oh man, that makes sense. Nelly was just popping at that point, right? Yeah. Um. And also on the way to this game of disappointment, I mentioned the Vanderbilt game really kind of sticking. To me, do you guys remember the game against Illinois the year before Illinois had been number one and they went to the national championship game and they lost to Carolina? But do you remember anything about Georgetown's rematch with them on the road? They're being really ugly, like fugly. Yeah, yeah. Halftime was 28 to 13, Illini. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, you're kind of just, I'm just like, you know, where the hell is the offense that beat Pitt the year before? All right. I want, what did we I, lose I want to by? watch that. We, we lost by 10 or something. Yeah, fifty-eight, forty-eight, but it wasn't that close. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why I remember the margin of defeat in that game, but it wasn't. It, but you're right. Even though it was ten points, it it wasn't a good game. The game wasn't <laughs> close in the second half. I remember being disappointed, but also that wasn't. It wasn't a bad loss. I don't remember no, leaving no. that game thinking I can't believe that happened. It was more like we still have a long way to go. I just, I guess, I had a bunch of friends texting me because I was, like I said earlier. I was all jazzed up. I'd always been a big college basketball guy. Hey, look, Georgetown's back for real. I swear, like, they're back. And then there was a lot of, oh, really? They just scored 10 points and a half. And I, I think, it, you know, it, I took it hard. And at this point, too, I, I had two season tickets, and it was basically a revolving door of friends is kind of what I, it's kind of what I did, you know? So I was kind of get people out there. Not many of my friends really cared you know that much about georgetown you have your random fans of unc or duke or all that kind of crap so i guess i was trying to at the same point con- make you know convert people into being hoyas which i eventually did by the way because after this duke game times were pretty good for a while and i had pretty good seats <laughs> I, I guess one other thing to point out in kind of the run-up to this game i was also at and, and you guys were probably both there too i was at the last game that was Georgetown versus Duke at the MCI center before <laughs> yeah. 2006, which, which might've been, it's, it's one of the low points. Absolutely. One of the low points. I mean, we yeah. were down by 30 for a considerable period of time in that game. The, the place was, it was just Duke fans throughout. It was embarrassing. And I can't remember a total shellacking like that at home. Um, since then, with the exception, even in these last five years, with the exception of that brutal loss we had against Villanova at home uh, in in what I think was JT3's final game. Um, 
Yeah, there was that. There's also that the pit game right around like when Winnington goes away. I think. Yeah. We that was seventy seventy five to forty eight. I think, and <laughs> yes, that was absolutely <laughs> awful. And it pre- it preceded our loss at South Florida before we went on that epic run in <laughs> at the end of 2012 and beginning of 2013. Do you remember at the end of the Duke game in 04 where right like I think Brandon Bowman had a dunk at the buzzer and fans were kind of cheering it. I remember just wanting to just light myself on fire. <laughs> this is I mean this is relevant though. Like a lot of people I mean this is only two years apart. Like a lot of people who go to this game in 2006 were at the previous one. I mean it's a pretty big sea change right between i think duke was number one in the 04 game too yeah they were sea change in two years to see the two different things right even you know regardless of the outcome like the anticipation leading into that game and what that represented you've gone you've come a long way in in two years to get to that point so so bobby you had you had season tickets you're you where were your season tickets i was look i was mid-court looking at the benches. So I'm in 111 row Q. Okay. So what is your, I want to know from, from, from you and from Howie, what was your day like? Like, where are you in your life? Like, what, how, who'd you go to the game with? What was going on that day for you? But, by the way, one more anecdote for that 2004 game. <laughs> uh, I drove, I drove four hours to attend that game, had dinner in, <laughs> had dinner in Chinatown, got food poisoning and, I, along with a couple other people I drove with, found themselves like throwing up on the side of I-95 on the way home. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm there, there was that as well. To be fair, that's your own fault for eating dinner in 2004 Chinatown. Um, so what's good, so what do you guys do in that day? Like Bobby, what's your what's your January 21st, 2006 like? So you know, as a member of the Hoop Club, I was able to get other tickets in advance, right? But you know, the whole thing is I can't guarantee where they're going to be. I know they're not going to be near me, so sorry about that. But if you want to go see Duke, so we had we had a pretty good crowd, and also this was one of the this is one of the rare Georgetown Saturday games that's not at noon; it's one thirty, which yep. it sounds like a little, it, you know, it doesn't sound like that much, but it's a huge deal for the pregame because which I be my routine the last couple of years of season tickets was for a noon game. I'm drinking in the Acela club at 10, 10 30, whenever the heck they open, I'm down there before maybe watching soccer. But this, I had a pretty good friend of mine who was rooting for Georgetown. He's not a Georgetown fan. He sat with me and I had some, some tickets, my, my best friend who likes Duke. And that was pretty cool that he was a part of that. He He's not like a jerk or anything about it, but just liking Duke is just so annoying. So we, we got down there early um, we went to RFD and okay. we, we, we hung out there and then we got in there pretty early because as a veteran of getting in there, you know, I mean, obviously you got there really early, but you know, you can't wait till, Oh, the game is 11 at one We're going to get in it. You know, you got to get there early and it is what it is. You got to buy some, you know, food and drink inside the arena, which obviously is a bummer. But if you want to see the entire game, see tip off, you got to kind of get in there early. So that was kind of it. We got down there probably around around 11 for the one thirty. hung out, and then, you know, went, went on over there about an hour before. Hi, what's your, what's your, your January Your, your turn, because I think – your turn, because I think mine is more ridiculous than yours. <laughs> okay. That's going to be fun. No, I'm curious. So I was unaware – so I was, I, was not, I was not unaware of the fact that 
13 years ago tonight or today, uh, I had published a, some long form journalism on uh, HoyasFactor.com. Bobby let me know, apparently John Reagan posted or reposted a link to it uh, today on the front page of HoyasFactor.com. So if you yeah. want to read many thousands of words of me recounting the entire night I spent uh, camping out with a bunch of Georgetown students in front of the MCI Center, uh, you can do that. I have lots of anecdotes, but yes, I, um, uh, I was in grad school. I was at GW. Um, I had, as I had the previous year, I got some student season tickets through a connection in the Georgetown Athletic Department. Um, so I'm using a student season ticket for this one. I sat in the second row behind the uh, visitor's basket, I think. Um, but I did. I, I got off my job, uh, went home, changed, got some stuff, and went over to campus. And I think like, I don't know, about a dozen, 15 or so uh, folks camped out uh, in front of the, the main entrance at the F Street entrance. Uh, the MCI Center overnight. Um, some, some people had done this. I guess they got the idea. Some people had done this for the 2004 game, which I, sounds psychotic. Um, I, yeah, that's, that, that sounds psychotic. And I guess apparently the story was it was incredibly cold that night. Um, I actually have in the story I wrote, it was only about, the low was only like in the mid 40s tonight. We did it. Um, but there's lots of funny anecdotes I have uh, that I was reading about when I was reading through my article earlier today. Um, I got run over in the DuPont Metro by a, a lady in like heels and a club outfit falling off the escalator. Um, we got accosted by a guy who claimed that he was writing like, like lit noir for like a compilation called DC Noir. And we thought this guy was like on drugs and bullshitting us, but I actually <laughs> saw, I saw the book in the store. It's a real book. Like it's a compilation. I think George Pelicano's edited it. Um, that's a true story. Um, lots of, lots of cops like there was one particular like beat cop that was just driving around like periodically like just to check on us but he would like deliberately turn the siren on to piss us off and wake people up um he was a maryland fan uh we found out <laughs> i read that yeah yeah there's there's some uh yeah there's some interesting yeah like apparently they were singing the fight song every hour i did i didn't really a lot of people actually did sleep on the sidewalk i i didn't I, I i pulled like a solid 48 hours without sleep between thursday night and saturday night so i was strung the hell out for this um but it was it was fun i it's sort of the kind of thing i i decided to do it kind of late but it was like you know what why, what the heck why not i've got nothing else to do on a friday night in my broke ass grad school days let's do this and so i ended up with a really good seat um which i could have easily gotten if i had just showed up at like 5:30 a.m. instead of you know 10:30 p.m. But what are you gonna do? It was fine. So yeah, I was in law school at the time at uh, an institution called Duke University. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Yes. And uh, um, <laughs> but not not only was I not conflicted about this game, I I I never rooted for Duke basketball while I was in law school. So um, it. <laughs> It rubbed a lot of people the wrong way while I was there. Um, I eventually took a picture with Coach K while I'm wearing a Georgetown visor and a Carolina shirt. Um, but it, so I, I had season tickets at the time. But what what made this interesting is I was looking at this, looking at this game, trying to figure out what I'm going to drive up for. Obviously, this is the first game that jumps out at me. But uh, I had an opportunity that those of you who are listening to this who are Jewish of a certain age may appreciate. I had a chance to go on a birthright trip to Israel. And 
I had to decide whether to take a 10-day trip to Israel for the first time and check out the country uh, or say, ah, I don't want that life experience. I'll go watch <laughs> Georgetown lose to Duke. And uh, it was not an easy decision, actually. Um, I had to think long and hard about it. I remember having a couple conversations with friends saying, but yeah, I feel good about this team. What if this is the year? Do I really want to miss what could be the greatest game of all time? Of course, I probably said this could be the greatest game of all time a hundred times before this game. So it didn't really, that didn't resonate. Uh, and I decided to pull the trigger and go to Israel. Uh, so I was in, I was in Tel Aviv while this game was taking place. I appreciated the one thirty start because given the time difference, uh, I, I could figure out a way to watch this on a computer. Keep in mind, this is, this is during a time when cell phones weren't as prolific, especially internationally. And, uh, it was much harder to stay in touch of all the hotels I stayed at during those 10 days. The, the hotel I was at in Tel Aviv was the only one that had a like sort of a business center. Uh, I realized that that's a ridiculous thing to say 15 years later, but it was the only time I actually had access to the internet on my 10 day trip was well, the one or two nights I was staying at this hotel I was at in Tel Aviv. And I remember just staring at ESPN, refreshing constantly trying to figure out what was going on and that that is how i consumed this game until i watched it 50 times you know after the fact wow i did not see that one coming but that's that's how, awesome how how far into the future after this what is like the most recent point at which this dilemma that howie faced would be a serious dilemma where you wouldn't just be laughing at yourself. Like how far, how, how recently would the question of, do I go on my birthright trip to Israel or do I watch Georgetown play a good team would be like a serious conversation. 2013. 2013, is that right? Yeah, like I was going to like the Syracuse game at the end of 2013. That's probably the last time you could, could do that with a straight face. It's, so it's, it's true, but th there's a reason why that, that this question has, you know, like out of the nature of this question has changed considerably. And that's, we didn't have DVR. I mean, like DVR wasn't really a prolific thing at the time. Nope. Oh, true. Um, and so like, I, I remember, you know, I had a, I had to be, I was out of the country. I was in, I think I was in Brussels, went for that Georgetown, Missouri game where we won in, in overtime with the, the famous Chris Wright buzzer beater and the, the Jason Clark overtime performance. And I was like, you know what? Like I, I'm going to try to find this game at a bar. And when I couldn't find it at a bar, I'm like, it's fine. Cause I'm recording it. Turned my phone off, came home a day or two later, not knowing what had happened and watched it all fresh. You, you could not do that in 2006. Nope. Nope. Yeah. That's not, that's not possible. And now you can just watch games from your phone anywhere, right? You can just. Yeah. And the Missouri, the Missouri game was what? 2010. Was it? Was it? It that might have been two thousand nine, like years? November. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, it was. So you didn't face the dilemma that I did. Well, I don't know. I guess if you had tickets, but so, John, I'm assuming that you were there on Tuesday night when they just limped over the finish line against South Florida. I remember mm -hmm. walking to my truck 
I think I might have gone to that game by myself, actually, and thinking, like, why am I coming here on Saturday? Like, you know, I bet I could get a lot of money for my tickets. Now, obviously, <laughs> I didn't do that. And, I, you know, I had a group that was going. But that was kind of the mindset of, you know, I don't want to be, like like you said, um, NY, I don't want to be in that arena that's going to be the entire foreign level is just dookies. And, it, you know, like it sucks to be it, it sucks enough to watch a loss when you care. It sucks even worse when you're the home team and the other team's fans are everywhere. Right. So there was a little bit of that I had going on. Obviously, things worked out differently, but that was a thought. I wasn't going to do it, but there was a thought of, you know, what, what, what if I just sold these tickets? Yeah. I don't actually think that it made much of a difference for me. Like I. I I'm trying to remember what I was thinking 14 years ago, but if I remember correctly, I just sort of chalked it. I was like, yeah, it was kind of a crappy game, but I don't really think it has any bearing. Like if you're going to play the number one team, like you're going to be emotionally up for that. I mean, it's possible. They were just emotionally down for USF looking ahead to Duke, but you're going to be emotionally up for that. I didn't really think that the one game was going to have anything to do with the Duke game. So it's also possible USF was just a bad matchup for them. As we know, later in the season. I went to that game. <laughs> I went to that game. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I was in Florida. I probably had a few drinks afterwards. Um, so, so who? So let's talk about who is. We, we talked about Georgetown's lineup, sort of. Um, who's playing in this game? So, starting for Georgetown, you've got senior Ashanti Cook, senior Brandon Bowman. Uh, then you've got the trio of sophomores. You've got. Steph Green, Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert doesn't play a ton of minutes in this game, but he starts, um, and then Jay Wall. Uh, Daryl Owens and Jesse Sapp get the balance of the minutes off the bench. You get a cameo from Eggerson and Amadou. Um, Duke's roster. Uh, this is this is J.J. Reddick's last year at Duke. Um, he's basically wins every Player of the Year award, Naismith Award, the Wooden Award. Um, he's, I mean, like him or hate him, he was probably the best player in college basketball that year. Um, I got to do a deep breath in this one. Sheldon Williams, uh, defensive player of the year. Doing my deep breaths here. I am, I've got a confession to make, guys. I am an Atlanta Hawks fan. Um, and Atlanta Great wasted pick. a lottery ticket. Great pick. Uh, this is the year after they drafted Marvin Williams, too, I think. And uh, they wasted a lottery pick on Sheldon Williams. Um, they saw this game. Um You've also got what the big deal for this game, I think, for Georgetown fans, at least in terms of how the students are treating it. Um, Greg Paulus is starting as a freshman at point guard. He was a five-star um, recruit that year. So is uh, Josh McRoberts coming off the bench. Um, you've got Sean Dockery, Lee Melchioni on this team. Some other guys aren't as important. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly decent Duke team. They were, they were still undefeated, number one in the country. Um, Probably like at this point, an odds-on favorite to win the national championship. Um, they get upset. Yeah, let's not say fair, fairly decent. Fairly decent. They were undefeated and number one in the country. I mean, they were the yeah. odds-on favorite to win the national championship that year. They were, you know, they were more than fairly decent. This was the year that Sheldon Williams and JJ Redick were going to win it all. I were they the overall number one seed in the tournament, or was that UConn that year? It doesn't really matter, probably. It's probably a one A one B situation. And you guys, you guys know that this was the day that all the unbeaten's fell, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Didn't I, didn't didn't Greg Paulus have a brother or two that were walk ons for Georgetown basketball? Uh yes. One of the Pauluses played football at Georgetown, and then there was the one that played at Syracuse. 
I thought all of yeah. his older brothers went to Georgetown. No, he had, I think he had I think he had multiple at oh, Georgetown. Who was the Paul? I swear there was a Paul that played like quarterback or played football for Syracuse. That was that's Greg. Right, that's, right, that's, 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 that's this guy. That's that's this guy. Okay, so okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, right. Which is so which is what made it all the more all all the worse. If he had all of his brothers were going to Georgetown and he had all his connections, the fact that he went to Duke and then Syracuse made him sort of enemy number one. Yeah, in this game. I remember the like the yeah. This is when they would sell those like cheer sheets in the student section. I remember like they were making a much bigger deal about Greg Paulus than JJ Redick, probably for that reason. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, so it's a, I mean, it's a really good Duke team. Um, it's a really really good matchup on paper, um, it, it, and it starts out really well. <laughs> Actually, let me ask so you guys. So Bob, you said you you weren't very optimistic leaving the USF game. Were you guys optimistic on the day of the game? Of course. Okay, you, so you walk into the arena optimistic. Howie over in Tel Aviv. I don't think it's – it wasn't a question of optimism. It was more excitement. excitement. I was ex, I was excited yeah. for this game. Yeah. I get, I mean, and, and my, I don't know what my hit rate is on having feelings about games, but I can remember some games where, like, I, I know I had a bad feeling and it turned out bad, and I know I had a good feeling about some games. And this is one where – that morning, standing out before they opened the doors to the arena, that morning standing out there, I had a really, really good feeling. Um, You're probably cold. Was. I probably was. I underdressed, too. Um, okay, so real quick, fact check in real time. Dave okay. Paulus was on Georgetown's team in the 99-2000 season and 2000-2001. It says here three of his brothers, Matt, Dan, and Chris, played football at Georgetown. And then obviously... Go. Greg Paulus was offered a basketball basketball scholarship at Georgetown, but chose Duke and later was a very mediocre quarterback at Syracuse. There we go. Should we actually talk about this game? <laughs> there's a, there's a lot that goes into this, but like it's, it's I, I, Bobby, you said you watched some, some of the game recently. I've watched the whole game fairly recently. It holds up. It's a banger. There's so many parts about it, right? Like, there's so many games we go to where there's just no, there's just nothing in that building, right? Like, there's just nothing. So, you know, once the telecast starts, you're like, where the hell are they playing this game? This can't be, you know, in Chinatown, right? Like, there's just so much energy in the building. It's just gray everywhere. Okay. And I don't know how you guys feel about announcers, but you got Vern Lundquist and Billy Packer. Like, this is the game, right? Like, this is a big deal. Like, so when you go to YouTube, and I implore everyone to go and run to YouTube after you watch this, if you haven't already done it, and if you have done it, do it again. It's incredible. It's it's incredible. And you've got that you got that CBS music that we've come to mm. kind of you know shiver and you know freak out when we hear it because usually that means bad things are going to happen. Bad things don't happen in this game. So let me ask you two questions really quick. First of all, is this game? Is there any other announcer combo that makes this game better um, than I, I? You know what? I should have just said like announcer combo because I'm not a huge fan of Billy Packer. I love uh, Billy it Packer. Could, it could have been it could have been Vern and Raph, but it, it, it's much better with Vern, isn't it? it? It just wouldn't have been as good with Nance. It wouldn't have been as good with like you know pick your other like yeah. I can't. I, I, I can't. I can't quibble, but yes. I mean, Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery would, would have been very fun. Vern and Bill Raftery would have been fun. Vern, and any game Vern with has, Bill Raftery is better. Vern has this way of when he gets really excited. 
excited about something, where he just he doesn't really say a word. He sort of makes like a guttural noise, like ah. Oh! He does that a lot. I love that about Bird. I mean, he does happy, that happy, happy. That's why he's Happy Gilmore. You know, he's using Happy yeah. Gilmore. So okay, best possible announcing combo here. Um, is this the best crowd? And how you weren't there, Bobby? Is this the best crowd of the George Sham you ever been to? Yes. I think you're right. So, and, and, and I'm going to say, look, I'm going to say no, I wasn't there, but <laughs> I stand, I, I just. You think in Syracuse? To, obviously, yeah. That March, the March 9th, 2013 game against Syracuse was unbelievable. Every second of that game, but here's, just knowing, you know, the meaning and the importance of that game. Um, I, so it's, I can't compare, obviously, but that was amazing. amazing. I, th- I think the only. I mean, we're we're you know it's we have disagreements about such a such a great thing to be having an argument about. I think what makes this crowd better is that even though Georgetown jumps out, the game is a game, and it's you know it, get, it gets close at the end. So the game you're talking about, I think what sixty one thirty nine. Yep. So I think that the crowd kind of loses part of its mojo because there's just not a lot to keep it going, right? So I think that's why this one, in my opinion, is a better crowd. Bill Raptor was there for that game. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the so, so in the first half, I, I was kind of quick scrolling through highlights and through the the video earlier. In the first half of this game alone, Georgetown scores on at least half a dozen different backdoor cuts. And the thing about this game is, like, it's the I mean, Georgetown was running like a very like Princeton Princeton version of that offense, and they pretty much scored on every normal variation of a back cut or a Princeton play you can score on in the first yeah. half. I mean, they, they that, that's probably the most perfect they have ever run that offense. I mean, for except for they played them in was, 10, right? Well, yeah, maybe, you know, <laughs> but for, for as good a team as Duke was, the style of defense Duke liked to play really was the wrong style of defense to play against the Princeton offense. And it, there are so many just perfectly executed plays. It's astounding to watch the offense be that good. Um, it, it, it's it's also, I mean, you're exactly right. And the the line there there are like three or four lines that I've I don't know how many times I've seen this game many, but three or four lines that that always stick with me that 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 I remember. Um, and 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 one of them is Billy Packer saying multiple times. I'm telling you, Mike Shashevsky has got to switch to zone. This defense isn't working. Like, it, and it, it was exactly true. I mean, it, it, Coach K was being outcoached because his aggressive man-to-man defense at the time was being put to the test and absolutely schooled by the Princeton offense. There were so many of those pretty backdoor plays. It was like we were watching, you know, uh, we were watching Hoosiers and like, you know, the the basketball fundamentals are panning out time and time again and the coach on the other side has no idea what he's doing and it was just astounding how effective the back doors were working against this decent defense it's like they'd never seen it before and i'm sitting i was sitting on that side of the court for the for the first half of the center of the visitors basket where we're playing towards in the first half so a lot of that stuff is coming directly at my feet and it's really amazing i think you know the the backdoor cut that brandon bowman in the first half gets the reverse dunk on Probably that's easily like up there in the top 10 or so Georgetown plays I've ever seen in person. And it happens like right in front of me. I, I mean, you can watch like in the, the side of the screen too, the reaction of the student section 
during that play because that's right at the end of like Georgetown's first scoring run of the game. Where I think we go up by double digits for the first time. It's it's I I, I tell you like just the amount of energy throughout the game that never let up in the crowd. Um, and what's great about this Georgetown's offense too they they spent the first half pretty much carving Duke up with traditional Princeton backdoor cut offense. Once Duke went zone at the end of the first half, then they start hitting the three-pointer. And then in the second half, it's a little tougher for Georgetown to score, but you start to see them scoring through like Bowman and Cook both get some really good drives to the basket. It, it, they, they, they did it in so many different ways. Um, just really, really good stuff. So I, I, I wrote down some notes just because I, it was fresh in my mind. So just the graphics and everything, you got Vernon Billy. They highlight Hibbert and Bowman pregame, which is kind of funny because Hibbert scores the first two points of the game, and that's it for him. He only takes one other shot. He doesn't even start the second half. JT3 just goes with Owens to start, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Um, I miss the spin dribbles. I, I, I know that that gets made fun of <laughs> a lot, I guess, when like stuff started going wrong. But just watching, that's kind of like, for me, it's like comfort food. So on the first possession, Georgetown wins the tip. And then Wallace comes down and just does a spin dribble, right? Like, I I freaking love that. I love it. Um, and then the game, you know, Georgetown gets out like 6-2 or 8-2. And Packer, he talks about how Georgetown's played six games on the road. And he mentioned they're 3-3. Three and three, And then he says, you know, look, their losses to Connecticut, West Virginia, Illinois, those are games anyone's going to lose. You know, he says Georgetown's a tough out. I don't know if that's him trying to sell the game. Probably not. But, you know, you could maybe think that. Vern says, yeah, it's, I can't believe that they opened up two games on the road. It hasn't happened here forever, kind of alluding to Georgetown, St. Leo type stuff. Um, and then Howie, just like you said, you know, he, he says, I can tell by looking at Coach K and the Duke players, they realize right now they are up against it, against an opponent that can beat them. And he says, this may shock you, but I think Duke has to go zone. And he repeats that over and over again. And a lot of times when we ask coaches, after games, why they didn't kind of do stuff, their response will be, I'm not going to bring out a zone if like we don't practice that. If I'm not going to use it next week against Florida State, I don't think there's any value in that. And I think that's yeah. stupid. That could just be me. But you hear coaches say that, like a guy like Coach K, they'll say, we don't practice zone. We're not going to play zone. It doesn't do me any good to play it in this one special game. But when you watch a yeah. game like that, you're just like, what in the hell are you doing? They're just backdoor cutting you to death. It, it really wasn't until Coach K's Olympic experience when Jim Beheim was the assistant coach that he really started integrating a 2-3 on his Duke teams thereafter as in, you know, fairly regularly. I always think it's hilarious, though, how so many coaches think – it's like with, with the NFL where they talk about defensive coordinators who are, who are known for all of these exotic defensive formations. How many exotic defensive formations could there be? There aren't too many variations beyond the three, four and the four, three and where you put your safety and corners. It's the same in college basketball. Like not many teams are used to facing a, a, a two, three zone. How are they going to react? Is it really that exotic? I, I mean, I, I get that, you know, Big East teams had the luxury of facing Syracuse uh, a couple times per year. So they're used to it, but, Back in 2006, I feel like it it was still like a little risque to be playing a zone, and and you know it it took a lot of effort. And and look, Mike Shashevsky, who learned from Bobby Knight, was used to playing tough nosed man to man defense, and he walked right into a trap in that game. And you know, back to 
you know, Billy Packer saying, you know, I hate to say it, Mike, Mike's got to go to zone. And, and the, the reference to the guttural noises of, of, of Vern Lundquist, as they started adjusting, I think the score was something like 40 to 29. I haven't seen the game in like six months, but 40 to 29 or something like that. And then Jesse Sapp all of a sudden hits a deep three from the corner and Vern Lundquist goes, Whoa. And, and that's, it just it it didn't matter for that period of time. It was it was just unbelievable how everything was falling in this clinic, particularly in the last six minutes of the first half. And so so, so uh, go ahead, Bobby. I was just gonna say so Georgetown opens up. You know they're up sixteen eight. I want to say, and Reddick hits back to back threes. Georgetown was up twenty. They're up twenty to sixteen. Reddick hits a wide open three to make it twenty to nineteen. JT three calls a timeout. Next time down, Reddick gets another three. This one's not wide open, but he hits it. Georgetown's losing 22 to 20. And at that point, I think most people are thinking, oh, you know, that was a really great first punch. The Hoy is through. But guess what? You're playing Duke. You're playing a team with two All-Americans. You're playing a team with Coach K. Sorry, but this happens to them all the time. It's their bullseye. You know, you're just a team that's trying to get back into the rankings, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that for Georgetown to end the half on a 22 to six run there was a really big deal because, you know, you always hear, Oh, can you, can you take the first punch? Can you survive it? And it did seem like we had gotten back into, you know, Pete Gillen, Duke is Duke. This is what they do. And so I thought that, I thought that particularly was um, a big part of the first half. And then just some sort of TV stuff I'll throw out here before we get to the half. Um, They mentioned Vern and, and Billy were mentioning how they got to watch practice which I know Jay Billis complained about that, that, you know, he was hoping JT3 would let him. And so I don't know if they actually got to do it or if he's, I don't, you know, I'm not really sure, but I was surprised by that. And also just, you know, they show Patrick Ewing Jr. on the bench. They talk about, oh my God, you know, Ronnie Thompson is on Stan Heath's staff, but he's in town for this. And oh, by the way, Patrick Ewing Jr. is red shirting. And oh, by the way, you know, John Thompson the third is the coach. And they were just going into all that, all that, you know, family stuff and all those angles and you know this was again a program that even though this is the cbs game maybe a lot of people have been overlooking georgetown for a little bit so for us it's just like oh yeah i know all that stuff it's stupid but like when you go back and i think watch the national broadcast and they're kind of painting the picture of the family and how the family's still staying and ewing just showed up and you know this team's on the rise again i thought was just interesting when you go back and sort of watch it and you're not on the edge of your seat um, you know, worried about the win or the loss, you know, the result. Um, also a lot of shots of big John um, next to Bill Chaplin, both of them obviously have passed away and there were such big parts of the Georgetown program. So that was kind of my takeaways from the broadcast. Oh, and also in the first half, they showed the biggie standings and they were talking about the dreaded, which of these four teams is not going to go to New York, which was such a weird thing. I thought at the time, and I still do looking back. Just, just, just a couple other things, just, back from that time period the shot clock was 35 seconds not 30 yeah um and and keep in mind we can find some wizard to get the answer on this to this question but <laughs> J, jt3 teams that fell behind by eight or more points usually didn't win and so I, just given the style of play and we this was not something we were good at doing obviously the the north carolina win was the notable exception there but i, I just remember thinking for a lot of these games you talked about, you know, 22 to 20, and oh, that run was fun while it lasted. I, I think in my mind it was, we just can't fall behind by like seven or eight points. 
because yeah. if, if we if we can't keep it around can't keep the deficit around five we're just going to have a hard time coming back. We always, we, we always do. Now, given this was very early in JT3's tenure for us to realize that, but still, given our style of play, you just wanted to keep the game as close as possible, especially against the number one team in the country. This, this, this is a segue for me to a question, because for me, so Georgetown's up 42-28 at the half. They're up by 14, hugely. The second half, honestly, to me, even as many times as I rewatch the game, is kind of a blur. Um, Duke sort of gradually, like incrementally, cuts little pieces off the lead. Um, there's never some humongous scoring run, but they're gradually getting closer and closer and closer. Did you, at any point in the second half, think, crap, we are about to lose this game? Many times. Because <laughs> Duke never gets the lead, and they never touch. It's, it's true. But but it was you're right and and the the first like if I go back and watch this game what I'll what I'll do is probably watch the first few minutes the last six or seven minutes of the first half and then maybe the last five minutes of the second half you're right the first fifteen minutes of the second half are a bit of a blur they're not memorable in part because Duke just keeps coming back and coming back it's a lot of free throws it's a lot of fouls it's you know we 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 sort of temper the storm. And yet there's that growing sense of unease that this could just not end well. That the, the, to the extent there was ever any cautious optimism with that halftime score, there's still that feeling of dread, especially as a Georgetown fan around that time period, that we got we to gotta watch out. The only time – I think this is one of the, like, hidden great plays in Georgetown history. The only time I was really like, crap, they're about to lose this game, or this is really serious, there's a play, it's a really like crazy like sequence on Duke's end of the court. There's like a block shot, like a steal, ends up in a fast break that Brandon Bowman gets a, an and one off of. That makes yeah. the score 72-63. There's 441 left. I remember being at the game and thinking when I remember going nuts when he scored that and one. Actually to the point where like I didn't realize it was an and one. I just thought it was a, like a layup because it was so loud. <laughs> That's when I thought, okay, we are definitely winning this game. You go back and I look at I was watching the highlights, go back. It is a two-point game less than a minute later. I think Duke called a timeout maybe after that. Duke went on a, it would have been a 9-2 run in like 55 seconds. And so we've yeah. got the ball. It's only a two-point game right about the under four. And this is when J-Wall hits the reverse layup off the back door cut on the baseline. And he has to kind of like double pump on. That's a kind of yeah. crazy reverse like behind his head layup. We're up two at that point. Like, if he doesn't make a really crazy shot, Duke's got the ball and the chance to take the lead. And honestly, like, would you have doubted they could? And they did. Like, I mean, Redick had 41 points. So. <laughs> and you would never know that. Like, he was so – I mean, he, he had yeah. a great game, but, like, it was so gradual. Quiet 41. You didn't even know yeah. until after the game. Yeah. I remember not even looking up at the scoreboard until after the game. I was like, shit, he had 41? So You're right, though. There was a sense we can't fall behind, though. We're like, if, if we fall behind, we're going to lose yeah. this yeah. game. Because one well, thing, when you get to that part of the game, one thing Duke under Coach K is always incredible at is they can extend a game late. He will, conser- he, will, he will deliberately not call timeouts early in the game and let the team suffer through a scoring run. And they will save timeouts, and they will take timeouts to set defense up, they will foul, they will set up pressure, and they will extend the game, and they will, they will beat you at the end of games like this. Also, Green got in foul trouble. Okay, so he end, you know he ends the game with four. For me, and like I said I didn't watch all of the second half today, but just in remembering the times I've watched, 
and today as well. So Duke cuts it to 76-72 with about 2.30 left. Um, future Atlanta Hawks, Sheldon Williams strips Jeff Green right around half court. Duke has a three-on-one. Like I said, they're, they're down four. They have a three-on-one with just John Wallace back. So I think you're looking at a guaranteed layup, right? But instead, Paulus kicks it out to Redick, which, you know, why wouldn't you? He ended the game 12 for 24, 6 for 11 from three. He kicks it out to Redick for a wide open three in front of the Duke bench. And he misses. Packer starts going crazy, thinking he got fouled. Okay. The rebound gets to Green. He throws it up to Owens for a breakaway dunk. So now, you know, they're back up six. It's a pretty big possession. Yeah. They come back. They they come down again. Paulus again. Well, I shouldn't say again. The last one was on a turnover. He turns it over. Green and Green ends up getting getting fouled. One of the things that Georgetown made it harder on themselves than they had to is they were splitting free throws at the end. Like yeah. like Bo- Bowman splits a pair late to make it 86-82 with 16 seconds left. We're like, okay, look, we're up four. We're fine. Dockery comes down and makes a ridiculous leaning contorting two that they go back and check to see if it's a three or not. So now you're at 86-84 with eight seconds left. Then John Wallace gets fouled, you know, inbound to Wallace. He splits a pair. So you're only up 87-84, which is the final. But, like, they could have buried that game, and it wasn't for another Greg Paulus turnover. You know what I mean? So even at the very yeah, end, like, it's, it's just, you know? Duke, yeah. Duke gets a little – I mean, both teams get a little bit leaky at the end of this game. Like, Georgetown's missing free throws. Duke has a couple empty possessions, like bad shots and turnovers. Like, they extended the game. They got more possessions out of the last few minutes of that game and gave themselves a shot. Like they had no right really to have a chance to tie the game at the end, but they, they extended the game and neither team was really exactly taking the bull by the horns there. Great. Chance like to win the Reddick, game at the end. If Paulus passes the ball to Reddick, Duke wins that game. They, they probably, yeah, that's a good question. If that game goes overtime, who wins? I, I, it's gotta be Duke. I think it doesn't, it, I don't think it goes, it doesn't go overtime. I mean, Paul's, if Paulus gets past half court cleanly, Reddick gets, a look from three and he either wins the game or he doesn't. Well, oh, no, it's, by three, though. It's, it's 87, 84. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. He's, that's okay. He's sending that, okay. To over, he's sending that to overtime, but I'm pretty confident Duke wins that game in overtime. Hey, um, so guys, something I didn't remember at the time and I get why it was happening now, but so obviously Hibbert didn't play a lot, but he didn't play so much that when Jeff Green was getting offensive defense foul trouble, they're putting in Amadou Kilkenny jaw. Like, that's crazy, right? I mean, it worked. Uh, I mean, I think that's the right call, though, with the size. The, the size I mean, to go small against that Duke team, I think, was probably the right call. Yeah. Um, Hibbert's just not mobile enough, and especially when Duke's trying to, you know, play their quick game at the end of the game, especially, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I think the pace of that game and what Duke has on the floor, I don't think that's the right game for Hibbert at that point in his career. But, do you guys you know, ever have any? Do you guys ever have any what if with Mark Eggerson? No. <laughs> There's like half a dozen other Georgetown players of that like skill level or like number of minutes that I have what if with over Eggerson. Right. So, yeah, like, the... so after the game, Bobby. After the game, Buzzerette, Brandon Bowman strips Greg Paulus. Georgetown wins the game. What do you do after the game? Are you? Are you? Did you get on the court? So I'm up in row Q in 111 uh-huh. and you know, I'm not, 
you know, 15 years old. I'm like 25 or six or something like that. The answer is I eventually did, but it felt weird by the time I got down there because at that point it was sort of like, well, you know, this is your chance to walk on the court, you know? So it, it was, it was so far after there had been, you know, any Georgetown player there that at that point it was basically like, look, if any, if, 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 if any Yahoo wants to just step on the court today, this is your big chance. And so eventually I did, but nowhere near the mayhem part of it. And what I would say is, you know, I think you had a camera based on when I saw your post on Hoya Saxa. I would have loved to have had a, you know, a smartphone at that point to look back at whether it's just Instagram or, you know, I'm going to admit I have Snapchat. I think it's funny, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I would love on my memories on somewhere to have it pop up of, you know, just, what I was seeing that day. Like, cause at that point I had season tickets a couple years. I had like a, you know, you've got like your season ticket family, right? Like I've become, I, you know, I became friends with some of the people. So like you have that group, but then, you know, I don't really keep in touch with them anymore. I haven't had season tickets in, you know, 10 years. So I really wish this game had been more modern and I'd had a smartphone to kind of document what happened. Yeah, I, I did have a camera. I will say that, I had a 2006 era digital camera and between like that trying to do action shots of a basketball game from a low angle, like yeah. being around a bunch of people. When I, st- I, I do have pictures from on the court after the game, I did start on the court. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're blurry. They're out of focus. It's very lo-fi, low res kind of stuff, but it's in its own way. It's really charming. Um, where I ended up actually, I think I wrote about it in the, um, the long form thing I did I actually ended up, directly next to Rich Shavakin's mic, um, just because of sort of naturally where the crowd went and like kind of, I gravitated, I knew Evan, I think at the time. So I ended up gravitating, like I saw Evan and I like, hey, Evan, what's going on? Like, and we're getting sort of half crushed against the table. And so the only, like, I've got some good, I was right next to Roy Hibbert. I got interesting, like pictures of Roy Hibbert and stuff. Yeah. The one thing I missed out on because I was directly next to the scores table was, so, you know, if you've been to McDonough Arena, like the staircase, I think, that goes up to one of the meeting rooms where they have press conferences sometimes or the hoop club has meetings. They have that mural of the student section yeah. from the Duke game. And that mural and like a lot of the pictures you see of the student section, I guess the photographer was standing almost directly on my head. Like he was on the scorer's table basically like must have been directly behind me because I recognized people in the mural, like in the near part of the mural that I was standing right next to, but I'm just barely out of the, the frame there. Yeah, I was, uh, it was, it was, and you're right next to all the players and stuff. It's really fun. It was actually, for whatever reason, our standards of when you would storm the court were not as high back when I was in school. So that was actually, I was counting. That was the fourth time I'd done that because I'd done it two or three times when I was at Georgetown. So. Yeah, but that yeah, is a absolute, like that's a guaranteed one. rush this court sure. situation. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a pretty it's a pretty good one. Um, is this if we, we never finished the bracket? Would this have won? This would have been your third time charging the court, I think, back then. Because I think the first one was that we played Louisville when Louisville was not good, and Denny Crum was still the coach, and there was no reason to storm the court. <laughs> yeah. We were both on rank. People, and, I, I, that was that was a anyway. year or two before me, a year or two before me. But I talked to people who were at that game, and yeah, it was real. I think it was just sort of like, hey, we got caught up in the moment. What the hell, yeah. you know? Um, and, and there was and the, the me, Syracuse, was my, my... Syracuse game too. 
Yeah, my freshman and sophomore years against Syracuse, and then the uh, the Notre Dame game in '05. Yeah, my um, best court oh, storming the right Hibbert game. Yep, got it. My since we're going over court stormings, my best court storming was a bunch of my buddies at JMU. We went to the NIT game at U-Haul at, in Charlottesville for the three overtime. And oh. so it wasn't a big Georgetown group. And that was pretty cool because I remember Scruggs running by and I think he had been on IVs or something. And it was just like 10 of us <laughs> that were, you know, either I think one of my buddies wore an Iverson jersey, but he didn't really care who won. You know, I think I was the only one, but it was just something to do like, hey. You know, UVA is like 40 minutes away. There's this cool game, Georgetown versus UVA. No, it sucked because it went so long and kind of hurt our after plans and this and that. But we stormed the court. There wasn't a whole lot of us. I was actually concerned. If the U-Haul security had been, you know, a little bit uh, younger, I think they were like 80-year-olds, I think we would have been in some trouble. But I think that was like a spring break game, so there wasn't that many people there. And uh, we were definitely... uh, it's definitely fun. You got to um, you got you got to see the uh, Georgetown's all-time leader in assists and steals in action, and a young man named Hester making a big shot. I believe on the broadcast, it's like, who is this guy? He's not even on the roster. He's a football player playing with one of the Paulus brothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think, right. I think Trent Hillier was also on the team at one point. I think he was. Yes, he was. Yep. All right. Let me give let me give you guys some. Uh, where we go from here, stuff, some, some stuff on this game and its legacy. Um, Georgetown had not been ranked in the AP poll since January 5th of 2002. So it had been over four years. Uh, they were ranked the following week and they stayed ranked for the rest of the 2006 season. Um, they actually, I was going to say, they must have been ranked continuously for several years after that. They actually spent a couple months of 2007 not ranked, surprisingly enough. Um, this is the sixth highest home attendance um at the arena downtown it's entirely a function of just whatever capacity they choose for that day all the ones above it were sellouts too um highest attendance ever was the 2013 syracuse game weirdly enough this is only the third highest attended duke game at verizon slash mci the other two had higher attendance um so there, let me there you go high, high, the, the highest attendance game uh for that syracuse game is another uh uh, I think we feather in you in that argument. Yeah. yeah. So let me, so let me, let me go to the side. Come more questions. Yeah, but you know what? Hey, when you say, it, you know, there was, there, like, how many less, how many fewer no, people? I, I, are, I, I'm, I, I'm being a little facetious, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah I, I got I, I know you are, but just as a frame of reference, we're talking like 500 people, you know, 20 people. Like, what's the. No, I know. Uh, and gap, what Bobby's going to say, too, is that Obama game had more people, too. That's it. <laughs> um, so let me get back to the question. Would this game have won the bracket? Is this the best Georgetown game of the era we were looking at? No. It's North Carolina, hands down. No question. Okay. But right, I could make the argument that North Carolina doesn't happen if there isn't this rebirth. Yeah, oh, nobody question. but that's not the but nobody nobody disagrees with that. But hey, if you're if you're going pound for pound, what's the best game? It, it is clearly the game against North Carolina that takes us to the final four and we win in dramatic fashion. Yeah, the way yeah. we won, all all of that stuff. To to me, are, my, yeah. My opinion on this is that they're, they're it's incredibly close. 
I go with the Duke game. I'm not going to argue with people who say otherwise. That's a perfectly legitimate way. The difference between the two games for me, North Carolina getting to the Final Four, that's the kind of game you get a banner. You put a banner up. This is the kind of game you put a mural on. They're both good for their own reasons, but they're a little bit different. So it's each of them. Well, and the Duke game was a home game. So True. to the extent that home games are more exciting, yeah. you got that too. Bobby's point, do, did we actually need this game to get to the North Carolina game? Do you think Georgetown's rebirth happens just naturally without something like this Duke game? Like, is it just, do we sort of naturally have like the same kind of season or does this somehow take us to that next level in a way that nothing else could have? And that's what really does set the stage. Or do you know what would have just been, yeah, they probably would have made the Sweet 16 that year and the team was going to be really good in 2007 anyway. I think that when you look at the when you look at the immediate run they went on, I know that they stubbed their toe obviously before the season ended, but you know, they were back in action a couple days later in South Bend and that game is crazy win, yep. I think. You know, talked about that game. You and know, they beat so they beat good pit. They beat a right. good version of Pitt two weeks later. Right. In a game I think actually they went down in that game. Wow, yeah, they did. That was one of those yeah, rare games. Pit for a while. That's one of so yeah. I mean, I think maybe it's just a nicer way to tell the story if you look back and you can piece all these things together. I actually, hot take, is this team better than the 07 team? No, but it's better than the 08 team. That's my hot take. Because when you look at what you lose in Bowman and Cook and Owens and what you add, you know, Ewing, Macklin and Rivers don't really play big roles, you know? I mean, Dewan Summers. Summers, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, I, I mean, think, no, like, I, the, yeah, the, I, I guess, I guess, I, guess I just, I was so, you know, I think you guys were there. I, I know, I know John probably was in the first two rounds, what they did to Ohio State, and then they really were the only team in two years to give Florida a game. I mean, Owens hits that shot, they win, right? And that was the only game those Gators had in that two-year, you know, back-to-back stretch. So, I, I don't know. I think maybe I just kind of, at the end of that time, I was just falling in love with Ashante Cook and how he was playing and all that stuff. So, Sapp obviously was a much better player the next year and all that stuff, I mean, it, you know, compared to freshman year Sapp. But it might just be my Regency bias of just 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 watching this game. But that team was, man, that team was good. And I feel like they lost to the only team in the tournament that maybe could have beat them at that point. I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I agree. I mean, we, t- we talked about this before. We talked about that Florida loss and especially since we, uh, the, you're right. I mean, that was the only, the closest game Florida faced that entire run to winning the title. And uh, we were, we just watched the last five minutes of that, of that game against Florida. It's, it's painful how many opportunities we had to win oh the game. And had, had we won, we would have had a showdown against Villanova in the Elite Eight for a chance to go to the Final Four. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm. I can I, tell I think John. The 17 was better, but I, I agree that actually no, I, I I don't think that that this team was better than the 0708 team either. I think that the next the next the next four years of Georgetown basketball were probably better than this team, but I think our offense at the time was such a novelty. And this this unit of essentially 
six and a six or six and a half guys played so well together. Yeah. It's hard to disagree with that. I know that John's trying to roll out of here, but there's a couple things I want him to hear me say. Okay. I got one more question for you guys. It's important. So just going back and looking at sort of these teams and these rosters real quick, there's three players that are still playing basketball. Are you guys familiar with who they are? Jeff Green, JJ Redick. And I mean, we're talking about like in the league or we're talking about just period. Oh, playing playing basketball is kind of the hint. Uh, well, Jeff Green and JJ Redick for right. sure, who could see each other in the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brandon Bowman still playing in Germany. Oh, All right, that's a lot. All right. Um, so when you look at Duke's roster, you know, you know, I don't know. Obviously, they're number one team and. When you look at the ACC that year, not a good ACC. Four teams made the tournament. Duke was a one seed, UNC a three, BC a four, who Duke beat in the ACC championship game. NC State was a 10. Duke and BC both eliminated in the Sweet 16. UNC, we saw get eliminated in Georgetown's bracket. They lost to Mason. Uh, The Big East had eight teams that year. UConn and Villanova both went to the Elite Eight. Uh, First round picks, Georgetown, obviously Green and Hibbert. This, UN, is, this or, is the Duke team, by the way. This is the Duke team that lost to the big baby LSU team, yeah, right? Yeah. The Stromile Swift team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So just kind of put in perspective, like, who Duke was. Now, they had a great record, um, all that stuff. But the, the ACC getting four teams is kind of like, wow, that's – wow, you know. Um, First-round picks, Williams and Redick. But they had a second-round pick. Josh McRoberts played far more NBA yep. action than uh, I thought. He was a second-round yeah. pick. So, on the ground for a while. Yeah, so I put down the NBA games from these guys. So Hibbert played 662 games. Sheldon Williams, first round pick, 361, kind of a total bust. McRoberts played 433. And then Green and Reddick are kind of neck and neck, even though Green had that entire year off that he missed with his heart surgery. They've both, they've played, uh, Jeff Green's played 924. Reddick's played 909. And points, they're almost identical. They each have 11,000. Um, Reddick has 811 and Green has 892. So they've kind of had pretty similar careers. Roy Hibbert is the only player to kind of get any accolades in the NBA. Jeff Green was on the all rookie team, but Hibbert was uh, defensive player of the year runner up to Noah, I want to say in 2000. I'm not sure what year. Sorry. I'm not, I think it was 2014. And Hibbert was a two time all star and he also made an all defensive team. So that's kind of like what happened to these guys afterwards. Um, Sheldon Williams didn't really work out. He's coaching in the G League. He's an assistant. Greg Paulus is a head coach at Niagara, which is yes, how many is. guys played FBS football and ended up coaching basketball. He actually holds the Big East record for most picks in a game, which is a conference that no longer has football. So that record probably will not be broken. He threw five picks against USF. Um, and Georgetown's <laughs> roster is pretty talented, although, you know, Green kind of is the guy, Roy Hibbert, if he'd been maybe 10 years earlier, he'd probably still be playing. He kind of just got, he's kind of just the game sort of evolved, not to really fit his skill set. Um, and then Bowman's still playing. Jonathan Wallace is in the Nuggets front office. And um, Hibbert's actually with the the Sixers. He's a developmental coach. But that's kind of just my mm-hmm. overall look back at what were those teams and where did they go and how did it work and all that stuff. Again, Mick Roberts playing that long in the NBA, that's just, flew under my radar but he had 
he scored more NBA points than Sheldon Williams. If yep. if this is I'm truly well, like an well. episode of this is truly like an episode of uh, the rewatchables. Uh, that's a pod that typically hey, ends. Hey, with, hey, Spotify's who, got lawyers, man. Let's not go there. What? Um, <laughs> so it's many IP fraud here. Um, last thing before I go, this is very important. I have to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're filming that we're recording this on the actual anniversary, January 21st. So this is the day after inauguration day. Of course, yeah. all the big ticket stuff, you know, the inauguration of the president and vice president, uh, give or take how close you live to the National Mall, the Katy Perry performance of fireworks that I could hear from my living room. Um, but also uh, the swearing in of the three new U.S. senators to include oh, yeah, awesome. a senior senator from the state of Georgia, John Ossoff, Georgetown SFS class of 2009. My question to you guys, this is John Ossoff's freshman year at Georgetown. Do we think the senator from Georgia was at this game? 100%. I would yes. hope so. Yeah. If you are on Twitter, you can hit us at, Bob, at Bobby Bancroft, at FL Hoya. If you knew John Ossoff at Georgetown and you know if he was at this game or not, send us a DM. If you are on John Ossoff's staff, at the U.S. Capitol, get in touch with the senator. Tell him, hit us up. Our DMs are open. I want to know, did John Ossoff go to this game? Here's here's That's a more I mean. difficult. There's there's I, I I mean we know he was in the chimes, but I, I feel like he must have been at this game. This was a game that everyone oh, went to. You know what? Who did the national anthem for this game? It might have been the chimes. <laughs> it might have been John Ossoff. I might have put this in my recap for Hoya Talk. Let me see if I can find this. If, he, if they did, then he probably was at the game. But to figure this out, I got to go, guys. I'm going to go figure this out right now. John. Yeah. Just want to let you know, I printed out the AP story. I'm not going to read it because you're leaving. But I wanted you to know, if you did not know, that obviously there was a sweater game, two sentences in here on the sweater game. I know that's one of the biggest things in your life. Don't, don't, don't make me read this way. I'm just, I, I felt like you had to know. I'm going to figure this out. Remember, our DMs are open at Bobby Bancroft, at FL Hoya. Let's figure this one out. All right. And then, and why, I guess, I guess he's just leading us off. So I guess we could probably mm-hmm. call tonight as well, unless there's something that you think we missed. I think there's just, just a couple things here. I mean, okay. while we're at, on, on uh, one more tangent, while we're on questions of where was this, uh, famous politician uh, in the history of Georgetown basketball. So Kamala Harris, I think was a Howard University graduate in 1986. Okay. Question I have is uh, during that, the run of, she would have overlapped with those famous Georgetown basketball teams. Yeah. How many Georgetown games did she go to uh, when Patrick Ewing was on the team? So, I mean, she would have been in school for three of those four years, I would imagine. Um, it's another interesting question. But Getting just getting back to the game itself, who comes out on top in this game? Obviously, Georgetown basketball, the program comes out on top. This is kind of the the turning point uh, for our program for really the next decade for the for the entirety of you know for for uh, about maybe maybe the next eight nine years. I mean, the trajectory of the program is heading in a certain direction, mainly because of this game as a turning point. I would say. Yeah. But then indiv- individually, obviously, JT3 comes out on top uh, as sort of the person who can bring this program back to national prominence. Uh, but then Jeff Green, I think this is 
the game that makes Jeff Green a first-round draft pick. It doesn't make Jeff Green the number three pick, but it makes him a first-round draft pick. Jeff Green is on the national radar as a result of this game. And from here on out, he he goes up and up. Uh, You can't say that about other players on our team, certainly not Hibbert. For Hibbert, Hibbert becomes a first-round draft pick in our you know, Ohio State shellacking later that year, 70 to 52 or whatever it was, yeah. where he, he, he goes off and plays like we know he could play. I like how you say um, whatever it was when you know that's the exact score. And you also know four people scored in that game. That's it, four. Four people. That's right. Um, but, but, you know, that was his game to become a first-round draft pick. So I think, you know, for all the guys who played well in this game, it was Jeff Green who ended up uh, really coming out on top. The, the thing I don't remember is this: was this our first win against a number one ranked team since '85, since the sweater game? Yeah, and that's why the sweater game made the AP. That's story. why it came up in the AP article. Yeah, yeah. I thought it Have was we weird. Beat a number one team since? No, they haven't played them a whole lot, but they have not. I I, I actually went back and double checked something Billy Packer said, which is kind of insane because what does it matter? Except I wanted to make sure. He had mentioned that Georgetown had lost eight straight. It was either seven or eight straight against ranked teams. And I was like, that can't be right. You know, because the season before was pretty good. And they were okay getting to that point. And he was right. They, In my mind, I was like, well, I know they beat Pitt. That was it. To that point, JT3 had only beaten Pitt that was ranked. And that was a huge win uh, for the reasons I think you stated earlier. The idea that coming out of the Eschrick period, we were all just so starved for the end of a game to be something other than Braswell seeing the fist and just, you know, freelancing is what it seemed like to the, to, to the fans, you know? So the way they ended that pit game, but they had lost, you know, a bunch of games to end that season against ranked teams. And then they had already lost to, you know, to UConn and to Illinois. And so they had lost seven or eight to ranked teams and they weren't bad losses, right? Like they were losing games that they were the underdog, the other team was better. But at some point when you want to break through, you have to, to win a game you're not supposed to. Yeah, right? no, that's 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 totally fair. I didn't realize it was eight games either, but it, it makes sense when you think that we had a five-game losing streak at the end of the previous season, and then we lost to UConn in the biggest tournament. So yeah. we probably lost to three ranked teams in that five-game stretch, two or three, then UConn in the Big East, and then Illinois and uh, and UConn again the following season. So that all of that, all of that makes sense. The, the line that always bothers me for some reason is – as soon as Greg Paulus fumbles the ball away to Bowman and the game ends, the Vern Lundquist says, you know, Georgetown wins. And Billy Packer's immediate response is, uh, and look at Mike Krzyzewski going straight to Greg Paulus. This yeah. is a teachable moment. This is a, like, just celebrate our win for half a second before celebrating Mike Krzyzewski demonstrating that this is a teachable moment for his young freshman, Greg Paulus and how, this is the moment where Greg Paulus will learn and not repeat it and route to Duke's championship run. For some reason, it just bothers me that that's his first reaction is to look at Krzyzewski supporting Paulus rather than just celebrating our win for five seconds. I don't know why, but it always Yeah, me. I totally understand that. The first thing I thought of is the focus a lot of people had on John Thompson and Fred Brown. You know, obviously the games are not nearly the magnitude of – you know, a national championship throwing the ball away. But that was the my, that was my first thought when I heard Packer say it earlier as I was watching. I did think it was weird. 
but at that point, it's just all Duke because they're number one. Georgetown hasn't been good in a couple years, and he's focused on that. I did really like him overall as an announcer because I thought he did a good job of trying to explain the strategy and stuff. And probably one of the reasons he didn't last as long as maybe he would have wanted to was because of stuff like that where he didn't have the, you know, listen to me tell the story. You know, he was very black and white, very, you know, nuts and bolts. And I think that's probably the issue. Okay, I pulled it up. So after beating Pittsburgh, they lost to, this is the 04, 05 team. They lost to Connecticut at home, the ranked team. They lost at Syracuse in that game where if Bowman has a smaller foot, they probably win. They lost, it's crazy to think BC was eight. They lost at BC, they were eight. Then they lost Villanova was 23, Connecticut was 15, Connecticut was 12. And then the couple losses. So, yeah, when, when Packer said that, I was like, there's no way they've lost eight straight to ranked teams. Yeah. And I was like, it's, just, it's a fluke. It's a schedule of fluke that we I mean, Three yeah. of those losses to a ridiculously good UConn team. Another loss is to an Illinois team that went to the national championship the previous year. You know, the close yeah. loss to Syracuse. It's it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. But, but you know what, though? We had gone through a period of, I don't know four or five years where we were getting crushed by UConn. Those games were not close, which made that 2005 Big East tournament game such a revelation that we had kept it as close as we did. And it, and, and not for nothing. It's, it's what, it's what really made those back-to-back home wins against UConn and, uh, you know, Oh nine and, and, or I'm sorry, in, in, in Oh eight and, and, and Oh nine, the Hibbert three and the Austin Freeman amazing game uh, was the same 72 69 in both games. I think that those, those were just so special because of that history of UConn where they were just taking us behind the woodshed for so many years. I totally agree. And I remember for as good as the final four team was their final game of that season was against a Connecticut team. That wasn't anything to write home about. They actually, I guess maybe they were on probation. They didn't end up they, they didn't even play in the NIT. They were they finished the year 17 and 14. But I remember that final home game of that season just being a little bit nervous about it, you know? Like oh, this is UConn. Like they've just I at that point I'd been so conditioned that UConn just beats you. Yeah, those teams are really 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 good. Well, I definitely think I think that when you watch a game that you remember, it's so much, there's, there, there's so much more to be gained out of it than I've tried and not, I mean, not tried, but I have watched a lot of, you know, old Georgetown games when Patrick was there. That's too, I'm not old enough to have seen that happen live. And even though, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's great. These teams, you know, went to the national championship game. They won a national championship it's harder to stay engaged watching those games. The rules are different. You know, the lines on the court are different. There's no bottom scroll of, you know, scores. Everything is just different, right? Even the in-game score isn't there for you all the time. Like if you turn away, you have to sort of remember, is Georgetown up 22 to, to 13 or, you know, what's the score? But when you watch a game like this that you remember, there's so much more value. So what do you think, you know, if you're a freshman at Georgetown right now, this is a 15-year anniversary, you were like three or four years old when this game happened, which seems crazy, right? But that's that's kind of where we are. What game do you think, 
I don't know, say like if you're a Georgetown fan, that's like 20 or 25, like what game would they go back to watch? Or do you think that the fact that the games are more, I don't know, modern now, is it easier to watch? I, for me, like I said, I think as a huge sports fan, follow a lot, a lot of different teams, a lot of different sports. I don't think it's as fun to go watch a game that you didn't watch the first time live, if that makes sense. No, you're, you're watching, you're watching highlights, but, but it, you're just, you're watching highlights of players and you're watching old clips of Iverson yeah. and Ewing's blocks in the championship game and all of that stuff. But I, I, I do, if, if you're asking like, you know, for, for this generation of kids coming to Georgetown, what's the last sort of epic game that we would want them to watch and uh, we're gonna we're gonna I, go back to the best crowd game. Well, no, I look. Yeah, <laughs> I, so twenty. Look, so the, the twenty thirteen game is also the game that persuaded Isaac Copeland to go to Georgetown. He commits the next day, uh, and that unfortunately might be our still be our best selling point. But two thousand fifteen also, I, I think that the win against Villanova yeah. that year was special. Uh, I think it was also MLK Junior Weekend. Uh, and when you couple that with the win against Butler and the Copeland game-winning three and the DSR stop on defense, those are still, I think, the most memorable home games of recent memories. There have been some other, you know, there there have been some other nice wins along the way. The, you know, the 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 Govan performance against Seton Hall, which was also the Akinjo floor slap game, which now leaves a sour taste in our mouths, but. I, I don't know. To, to me, those are still the okay. better than anything else in recent memory at home, at least. But I, I guess basically another way to say this is that this program needs another game like this. I know that it's hard to get to this level, right? To beat a Duke. And, you know, even if the number one, even if like, let's say you beat number one, who the hell, it, somehow it's, you know, Seton Hall, right? Like it'd still be a great win, but beating number one Duke is just its own different category. But at some point, there needs to be a game like this to restart the program again. Like, I would have thought you know after. I, I think we're also looking at it um, as, uh, you know, older guys who, don't, who, who are coming at it through a different lens. I think it's not the games that we need. It's the moments. It's the, it's, it's the game-winning shots. It's the Mac McClung reverse dunks. It's, the, it's, it's that sort of thing. People want to look at players who have success people want to see big shots against big teams and people want to see tournament success and you to have tournament success you got to make tournament yeah i mean our 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 last tournament win was 2015 against eastern washington is that right that's correct yes yeah that game actually is a pretty good game six years from then yeah, well, it's gonna be, it's gonna be at least seven. Uh, I don't want, I hate to break it to you um, or anyone listening. It's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna get matched this year. Not that I think that you think that it is, but um, no, I, yeah, it's. I think it would have been hard to explain to me during that season that the the program would have to be in a position to get revived again. I I guess. I was looking at it as, well, I know John Thompson was so good for so long. And yeah, the Eshrick era wasn't that great, but, you know, we survived it. And okay, it's finally, it's going again. JT3 is not that old. You know what I mean? Like, 
I think in this game, I think he might have been 37 or 38, something like that. Hmm. So I think he was actually, I think he was 37 at the final four, you know, which is younger than what I am right now. So I just assumed that this was going to, this was going to linger longer and it, it wouldn't have to be a restart again. And this program is definitely in need of its own 2006 Duke, wherever that's going to come. It could come in the conference. Um, it could, like you said, it could come just, it could come in different forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be this epic of a stage, but they're, they're definitely in need of, of, of something. Here, here. Well, but we'll always have January 21st, 2006, 87, 84. There we go. I loved it. I tell you what, I'm going to watch it multiple times. I might start, depending on how long this, this current pause goes, I might start picking out other games to sort of watch because I had a, a lot of fun watching this game, e- even though I didn't watch all of it, trying to, trying to catch most of it. And I got I, 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 I to say, we got to bring the worlds together because I love listening to dog talk and hearing from Chris and Austin and the guys they interviewed. Yeah. It would be great if we can get, you know, sort of, rewatch some of these games and get perspectives from people like us who were there uh, as fans and then the perspectives from players who actually played in those games to get a sense of what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, Some of that is really good. And sometimes you hear things, you know, as a fan that you're like, Oh, it was that close to this happening or that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's definitely really interesting, but there also is, you know, we kind of build up in our minds or experiences the way it was. And then you hear other things from the people involved. And you're like, oh, my God, it was it was that close to this or it was, you know. So you're right. It's definitely a great perspective. And I would love to I, I think I think they had or maybe not them, but maybe Gene Smith with Locker Room. I, th- I want to say he had Bowman and Clark and uh, Cook on at one point. We can we can make it happen. You can use your amazing connections to to make that happen. Absolutely, just like I use my amazing connections today to get you and John on, which I completely <laughs> appreciate and really value because I think it was important that Kente Corner made it out to the world this week, even if there are no games being played. We did it. I think I think that's it. We celebrated something for- positive, even when there's nothing that's positive to celebrate. Yeah. Who says I'm glass half empty? I want to thank everyone listening to Kente Corner. Find us everywhere. Podcasts are found. Rate us, subscribe, leave a message. We'll get back to you. For NY and for Florida, I'm Bobby. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.